Guinness 2023 Six Nations is all wrapped up and it was a Grand Slam winning weekend in Dublin. Ireland prevailed over a 14-man England to continue the St. Patrick's Day celebrations. And joining me and the Full House of Columnists today, we have the perfect special guest in one of the greats of Irish rugby, Woody John McBride. Congratulations to Ireland. Um, they sealed the Grand Slam. You've got to say they deserved it, whether you think it was a red card at the weekend or not. Um, not that that may have made a difference. Uh, we're going to look back at the weekend and the tournament as a whole today. Full house of columnists for the moment. Brendan's got a dash in about 20 minutes, as well as one of the all-time greats of Irish and British and Irish Lion rugby, Willie John McBride. How are you, Willie John? I'm very good. Very, very good week passed, so I'm, I'm happy. <laughs> Has the party stopped yet? Where were you at the weekend? Were you at home oh, or were no, you in no. Dublin? I was, home. I was home by the fire watching a TV in comfort and, and pleasure. It sounded like a hell of a weekend wherever you were. Um, look, we'll get to the Irish Grand Slam in a minute. I just want to look at the game first. Well, Willie John, let's hear your thoughts on the game first of all, and then we'll open the can of worms that is the red card. Well, it, it was obviously going to be... There was a lot of talk about the weekend, obviously. It put a lot of pressure on... Well, put a lot of pressure on both teams, but particularly on Ireland, because uh, uh, England the week before it was just a nonsense. Uh, what happened against France, uh, and that certainly was never going to happen again. Because if you look at the, the fifteen players they put in the field, there was a lot of ability in that team, and uh, they were certainly going to be better. Uh, Ireland were obviously very nervous. It was a tough game, tough, tough game. But the one thing that pleased me more than anything was. Even though it was tough and they were struggling, they never lost concentration and they never panicked. And that has been a sort of uh, a virtue of theirs all year, really. When things were going a bit awry, they settled down and they, and they caught hold of the game again and they did exactly the same Saturday. So I was very pleased with that. That's been a sort of feature of the tournament, hasn't it? Because you were obviously, Ireland versus France was the game of the tournament by most people's accounts. And obviously you're under the cost at some point there. Same thing against Italy, same thing about against England, but that's part of the winning mentality, isn't it? To be able to, when you're under the cosh, put it out of the bag. That's right. Andy Farrell has uh, obviously got this team together and they're they're a skillful lot too, the the Irish team. And he's got them together and he's made them believe in themselves, which is very good. The red card. Let's let's jump straight into it. I'm going to go around the circle. Willie John, I'll start with you. Was it a red card or not? Well, I played for 14 years. I know there were no cards in my day. But... uh, (laughs) You know, when I looked at that, and particularly when I looked at it in slow motion, it certainly was a dangerous, uh, a dangerous act that he did with his elbow and his shoulder. But you know, I think when one looks at it, uh, Ireland lost a player in the middle of it all, and I think it was only fair that England lost a player who, who committed the crime, if you want to put it that way. So I have no problem with that, and obviously they gave it a good, thorough uh, sort of research. Uh, and in playback, and uh, they obviously there was a number of people who made up their mind on the red card. So I think let's get rid of it. It's done. It's done. And uh, you know, I hate to see red cards because it does spoil a game. And uh, England had to sort of reorganise, and they did that very well. I think before I come to you, Brendan, one thing I just want to say is obviously the impact of the red card has maybe been blown out of proportion. The reality is, is England was still losing. And teams are often, well, Brendan, maybe you agree with me, teams are often galvanised by going down to 14 men. Yeah, and in fact, were last year at Twickenham. I thought England were galvanised. And the first thing to say is, in my opinion, it, it didn't affect the result of the match in any way. This was an outstanding Ireland team, possibly the best I've ever seen. It was an outstanding Grand Slam. Any Grand Slam, when you beat that France side, 
is just one of the best you can imagine. So, you know, and Ireland deserve everything they've got. Uh, the discipline was superb. However, I do not think that was a red card. That was a knock-on by Ireland. The only reason Keenan was running onto it was to stop England playing advantage. You know, he was, he was, and he was offside. If you look at it, he was actually offside. But he was trying to stop England, have, you know, deny them the opportunity of playing advantage. Stewart is thinking, what is going on here? And he's got this bloke hurtling at him. And we don't know if he's trying to kick the ball, dive on the ball, or at the last minute, he goes to grab the ball. He's in no position to set himself to make a tackle. And if he did, he'd probably tackle a bloke without the ball and get into trouble for that. What he tried to do was brace, and he sort of half braced and half tried to get out of the way. But this is all happening in a flash. If you look at it, you know, it's so quick. And I hate these slow motions. They're bollocks. Rugby is not played in slow motion. It should not be judged in slow motion. And I think that was an incredibly harsh red card. When you see some of the things that people get away with and don't even get talked to, for that to be a red card in front of a full house in Dublin and to, you know, well, how much? How long was there left? Over a half, wasn't it? I mean, it just doesn't sit with me at all well, that decision. Chris? Well, I've seen England play... Um almost complete Six Nations Championships in slow motion, just to pick you up <laughs> on that, right? Um, so so rugby, rugby can be played in slow motion. Um, uh, I think it's a, a very difficult one with the laws as they stand. I think it was a, a soft dismissal, metaphorically speaking, a very soft dismissal. But it, it was a hard incident, and it's put a guy off the field. Um, he did turn into it. He sort of semi-jumped into it, albeit I, I, I completely take the split-second nature of, 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 of the event and therefore large parts of Brendan's argument. He sort of jumped into it. Um, he did sort of lead with his elbow. But as you say, the, the, the time involved was tiny. I think the referee and all referees at the moment are pretty much uh, bound by law and regulation, there's virtually no interpretation open to them. If there's force to the head, then it's pretty much um, it's pretty much a one-way street in terms of the decision-making. I don't think anyone would have lost any sleep if he'd been given a yellow card under normal circumstances. Uh, some people are arguing that it was, wasn't even a penalty. It's a very, very difficult subject, that one. But I do think that as the, under the laws as they stand, Jacko Piper, who is not my favourite referee by a very long chalk, but I don't think he had very. He, he don't think he had far to go on it. He he, he had no elbow room, so to speak. <laughs> Nick, do you agree? Um, yeah, I do. Uh, broadly speaking, I think that there's a natural justice in things uh, very often, and that there wasn't a natural justice in the decision. I don't think it made any difference to the result. I think Piper has said. Uh, subsequently, that if he hadn't given a red, yeah. that he would probably be off the international panel. I think that that makes it pretty difficult for referees. We'd all like them to be able to use, I guess, what you'd call uh, a common sense um, decision in circumstances like that. I think that that was probably taken away from him to a degree. And um, I think that the idea of judging harshly on millisecond reactions when there is no um uh intended damage or danger i think is uh, is is unfortunate and i think that this idea that's been mooted of 
initially him being given a, a, a yellow, let's say, or initially being given a red, let's say, rather than a yellow, but that it is then reviewed in greater detail away from the um you know the obvious pressure of 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 the crowd and the moment and so on and that uh there's a 10 year 10 minute period in which to do that and then if it's deemed to be that it was a red card he stays off and uh if it's deemed to be that there were mitigating circumstances he comes back on yeah. so um it means more bureaucracy you know or more uh tv match officials and so on and so forth examining it but i suppose we are looking at the you know the gold standard tournament in in the world and uh and and therefore those resources if you're going to go to tmos and the like those resources should be available willie john would colin meads ever have committed such a foul deed as freddie stewart did on saturday well they were different days altogether we all we all we all had to look after ourselves in those days, and, and he had his own way of looking after himself. <laughs> <laughs> you know, we all had to cope with that. <laughs> I, I must admit, I, I was a perpetrator on one occasion when I put him down in, in Dublin. I put him on his backside. And, uh, you know, I should have been, I should have got a card if there were cards in those days. We all looked after ourselves, and we got on with it. Yeah. That was unprovoked. I'm, I'm assuming, Willie John. <laughs> <laughs> that, was that getting your retaliation in early or what? <laughs> well, well. <laughs> yeah, they were they were different days, just literally different days. I, I do hate this thing though that every time you get an incident, not just this incident, any incident, all the pundits say you have to look at it in real time, and nobody ever looks at it in real time. Every mm. single picture of it is in this super slow-mo that the French art directors love particularly. Uh, and it's like thousands of a second, and it just doesn't in any way convey what the impact and initial impact of that incident was. And it and it sort of plays with your mind seeing all this super slow motion. And don't underestimate the influence of the crowd yeah. as well. Like a Dublin crowd seeing the impact in slow motion, and all of a sudden you hear this echo in the stadium with the crowd. Yeah. Like, oh my well, that's God, the same everywhere, of course. Yes. Yeah, it is. My but... attitude's a little bit different in that you know, Ireland out of out of the incident, Ireland lost the flair yeah. for the for the rest of the game. So therefore, why why should the perpetrator be off the field as well? Well, they they lost a player, but he was replaced. Whereas England lost a player, you know, permanently. I guess that that's the difference. Yeah, yeah. But you know, that's the world we live in today. You just yeah. got to be careful. Like, let's be honest. On Saturday, uh, I I'm. <laughs> I'm not the greatest lover of referees, but there were a number of incidents. For instance, uh, Johnny Saxon was bumped from behind totally unnecessarily, which could have damaged his neck. Uh, there was somebody else who was actually spear-tackled onto the ground, and they, they, there was very little done about those, you know. So, and, and Lewis Ludlam took a, a crack to the head at, a, at a, right. one of the um, wipeouts, clean-outs, right in front of Jacob Piper, and he didn't even bat an eyelid. <laughs> yeah. I guess the um, one of the issues is is that if they're in it all the time, every second or every minute of the game, we haven't got much of a game. Yeah, I think at some point we will have a referee back on the Rugby Paper Podcast because it's been a while and it might be time to rediscuss the the ever changing laws. Because I think the question of laws versus justice or versus common sense is um, one of you mentioned. I can't remember who now comes into it, but I think let's put it to bed because like. A few of us have said it didn't really affect the result. Speaking of the result, Willie John, I just want to ask, were you ever worried 
on Saturday afternoon. Were you ever worried that the boys wouldn't get it done? Well, I, I was a bit worried in the first sort of 15, 20 minutes, half hour, uh, in that, they, they, you know, they were nerves, they were dropping ball, they were doing all sorts of things that they haven't done all year. And I think that England got to the point where they were able to slow the ball down because Ireland were, played their game with fastball from breakdown situations. And England had mastered that quite well. But uh, after half an hour, I thought, you know, there was no panic. They were just playing the game and that things would come together. And that's really what happened. And I think that's where Johnny Saxon, as captain, comes into this. He's, he's one of those players who just sums up the situation and lets gets hold of the game again and got everybody back on track. Strength in depth as well, isn't it? I mean, I can't, I, can't, I can't think of a game in the Six Nations where the Ireland bench, for example, hasn't made a massive impact. And I think you've closed out every game really, really well. Yes, yes, I agree. But that, that's for Andy Farrell is good that he comes in. And, you know, he's been very lucky in Ireland. have been very lucky in that we've got some depth now, which yeah. is good, yeah. Yeah, exactly. Um, Brendan, just while we've got you, I want to get your thoughts on England. Um, Farrell played well, maybe his best game of the tournament, which was a positive. Marcus Smith not coming off the bench is an interesting one. Positives and negatives from the performance? Um, the positive was a, an unrecognisable pack that dogged it out, fought it like you'd won an England pack to play against Ireland in Dublin. Um, that was a proper shift from the entire team. It wasn't perfect by any stretch, but you know, people like Sinclair really rolled his sleeves up. I thought Jack Willis was terrific. I thought David Ribbons had a very good physical match. And that that was, for me, was the basis of a much improved England performance. Um, Owen Farrell does, when you've got that, when you've got a pack that is at the very least 50-50 um, and perhaps shading it on occasions, Farrell can run a game pretty well. And I thought he did it pretty well. Having said that, England backs didn't actually produce that much. I mean... Anthony Watson looked pretty lively when he took some loose ball, but he, he wasn't actually fed with an awful lot of possession. Uh, but no, I thought I thought it was much improved. Uh, it had to be. It was dire against France. You're going to play the number one team facing a Grand Slam in Dublin. You had to front up. And, and they, they did front up. So there's a bit to work there um, for Steve Borthwick. The game in France was obviously a big blemish. Do you think that this is this actually represents a step forward? Or do you think it was the inevitable only step, given that they had hit rock bottom? I think it was in every only step. I think this is probably the true representation of where England are under Steve Borthwick. Now, they had won two of the previous three matches. They weren't an absolute basket case, but they were nowhere near performing as well as they should. They absolutely lost the plot against an outstanding France side, and they had they had to front up, and they did. Uh, there's some stuff to work with there, but there's a long, long way to go with England. Um you know, we'll, I'll leave you guys to discuss it later, but whether there's time to get this right before the World Cup uh, is, a, is a big debating point. They, they've got a fairly decent draw in the World Cup, but um, there's a long, long way to go. Yeah, well, I think most have ruled out England as World Cup contenders. Obviously, Andy Robinson said he disagreed with that last week. Um, I think Clive Woodward had said he's still believing that we'll get to the semis, but I can't see them, you know winning that final, whichever of the top five it's against. Now, Brendan, you did mention in the conversation, this Ireland side for the greatest Ireland team ever. Willie John, for you, you know, you're one of the best people in the world to ask this question. When, what do they have to achieve from now to, has that conversation started already for you? Well, I, I think that, uh, you know, they obviously have this in their minds. There's no question about it. But the one thing that has stuck with, in my mind this year 
is that their level of fitness and preparation has been absolutely superb. And they've got to keep that sort of preparation going now for the next two or three months until the World Cup. And I have no doubt about it that uh, Andy Farrell mentally will be fit to prepare them for what's ahead of it. But again, you know, it's rugby football we're talking about. So many things can happen when you saw what happened France against or England against France, where everything ran for France. Every little bounce of the ball, everything that happened that day ran for France, and that can happen in the game. So, and the World Cup is a tough, tough scene because you've got to play so many games in such a short period of time. So, but I'd say that they are now, Andy Farrell is now preparing them to prepare and keep their, keep their level of concentration from now until the World Cup. Would you brand yourselves favourites for the World Cup at this stage? No, no, no way. No way. The World Cup is a different scene. And it certainly is very much match per match. There's no question about that. Obviously, I, I'd say that they'll obviously be in there somewhere. Yeah. O- Ollie, can I leave you with two stats just before I have to fly? Um, yeah, absolutely. This Ireland team, uh, they had not a single yellow card in five full-blooded Six Nations test matches. I mean, how good is that? How disciplined is that? And I think that comes from Winnie John's point of supreme fitness. When you're that fit, you can think your way through. Uh, you don't have to go um, over the top. You've got that sort of re- that extra gear to go all the time. And they conceded just six tries. So this is a fabulous attacking machine, the Ireland rugby team. They've got threats everywhere. But it all starts with defence, or a lot of it starts with defence. You just don't score very easily against Ireland. And if you can't, if you can't score, you can't win, can you? If, if they're not giving penalties away... They're not giving cards away. If they're not sco- if you're not um, conceding tries, they're a very, very difficult team to beat. I'd just like to add to that, actually. Um, six tries this year. They've conceded 10 tries in this year's Six Nations and last year's Six Nations combined, whereas England on their own conceded 18 just this year. Yeah. So it goes to show, well, how far off the pace England are defensively and how good Ireland are defensively. You're absolutely right. Brendan, I'm guessing you've got to shoot now, yeah? Got to go, guys. Wonderful. Uh, talking, Willie John, many congratulations. Uh, you must be very proud of that team. Yeah, it's, it's it's nice. It's good for Irish rugby, yeah. Good on you. Cheers, Brent. Cheers, Brent. Cheers. See you soon. Bye. Cheers. Willie, we can talk about the Grand Slam itself now, and obviously we've seen it's the 18th Six Nations win, fourth Irish Grand Slam ever. Willie John, where does this rank in terms of the most emphatic Grand Slams? I think that this this is the best I've seen, really. Because, uh, you know, all the pressure was on them. And, you know, whether we like it or not, in, in the days gone by, there was a lot, a number of teams like Italy. Italy are a difficult team to beat now. Every game is a difficult game. And there's not a lot in it. And this is why I think it's, it was the most emphatic one, is that Ireland took on each one and they won it pretty well emphatically. But, uh, and they scored tries. They scored good tries, which was good. But let's face it, on Saturday in a game, where they weren't as good as they had been in the past, they still scored four tries, which was very good. Yeah. And I think that it's the best certainly I've seen. I mean, they scored. The the thing about the uh, the game on Saturday was that England managed to make it, turn it into a little bit of a, a, a stalemate. Um, they'd gone in to stop Ireland playing, I think, and they'd managed to do it for a, a while. But in yeah. the final quarter... Ireland, Ireland just, you know, found another gear or another couple of gears. And what's so impressive about them, I mean, some of the analysis that I've seen of them is that 
and it and it shows is that they've got decoy runners almost everywhere on every move and so actually you cut off one artery and the other one goes into into overdrive um they they are a very very fine side and um uh i don't see this being another uh you know as willie john has said i I think that they they're very strong contenders the world cup is a different beast um but especially uh, in there after the draw (laughs) with well, with what they did in New Zealand as well last last uh, summer, you know they're, um, they're 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 really formidable, and uh, they'll take some stopping. I, I think Nick makes makes a couple of good points there. Um, it, it, to borrow an old joke, England may not be any good, but at least they turned up, um, and and they they turned up on Saturday, and 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 the way they turned up. It was a little bit like the old equivalent back in Willie John's days. It's almost as though he thought this lot, this lot, if we get this wrong today, this lot could give us a hiding. So we're going to fire it up a little bit and see how much they like it. And that would have taken its own particular form in Willie John's time. And the form it takes in today's rugby is really getting stuck in at the breakdown. And they were very, very physical at the breakdown. Um, you know, they do have players to do it. You know, your Ludlums, Jack Willis. Ellis Genge, Itoje, and they it was an attitudinal thing. The difference in attitude and 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 just guts and venom and all those rugby abstractions that Willie John would have recognized back in the day between the French performance and Saturday's performance was huge. Where Ireland have improved massively, it seems to me. They were always vulnerable in the end, no matter how well they've been playing in recent years, they were always vulnerable to being beaten up by a bigger pack of forwards and re- and and struggling over the 80 against a very physical opposing eight. And they're not intimidated now and they're not dominated. They have people like Andrew Porter. I mean, Ty Furlong had about the worst game I've ever seen him play actually on Saturday. But Andrew Porter has been terrific. They've got this bloke, Sheehan, who's a big guy. They've got a bunch of second rows now. Four second rows. I mean, Burns not been around. Ryan is back to his very best, I think, or something approaching his very best. Henderson missed Saturday, who's a very, very tough, aggressive forward. And then they've got this kid, Baird. I mean, that's a bank of second row forwards, the like of which I can't imagine Ireland have ever had in terms of numbers of quality second rows. I don't know what Willie John thinks about that. I don't know who was challenging him for his place back in the day. But that's 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 something that you can you, you can build on and live off in a tough game. They're not going to be intimidated, I don't think, with, with forwards like that in the type five. I don't think they'll be intimidated at all. And that's a big difference, I think, for Ireland. I don't oh, think that they oh, were oh. ever going to be intimidated uh, by that England pack. And um, I one of the things that I, I'm not all that keen on about the narrative following this game is, you know, brave England or, you know, England you know, really showed their teeth and so on. Look, I, I think that at international level, that sort of level of commitment and aggression should be a given. Mm-hmm. I don't think it's something that England should find, you know, once every five games or or whatever. They need a far higher standard. They need to hold themselves to a far higher standard. And uh, they could start off by having a look at Ireland's standards. I, I don't disagree with that, Nick, but they, they didn't bring that level of commitment to certain games, did they? I mean, they, they they did not operate at that temperature 
um, at, at the breakdown and in the collision areas, they 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 were they were they were cool to stone cold in a couple of games in this Six Nations, and I, I agree with you. I don't think that's acceptable. Anyway, I mean, you're acceptable. The re- the re- Kyle Sinclair's a classic, isn't he? I mean, yeah. there are games when he doesn't turn up at all. Yeah. On Saturday, he was a different kettle of fish, and right. it ju- it drives me mad because he's a gifted forward. He but, just needs to rocket up his rear end. Yeah, but let's look at it. You know, this is this is the fourth. This is the third finish in the lower half of the table. And, you know, you look at the legacy, you know, uh, from the 2019 World Cup and all the, you know, the, the triumphal march after the uh, New Zealand game and, and and what was being said about England then. And you look at where England are now, and this is a disaster, really is. And, you know, I mean, it's been a downward trajectory all the bloody way. And, um, you know, Eddie Jones... Ah, look, I mean, you, you know, the idea when he said four years kicking stones down the road, that was exactly the wrong message to send. The message to send then should have been here. We've got to get back. We've got to look at the young players coming through and we've got to give people the opportunity to 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 build into a new side, which has got some real teeth. And uh, it didn't happen. And now Borthwick, I mean, I don't think Jones would have done any better than Borthwick has. Um, and, you know, Borthwick's got a real job on his hands. And, you know, England expects and England demands all the time. You know, we keep on talking about the number of players we've got and so on and so forth, or had. Don't know how many we've got now. But, um, you know, and it, there is, you know, there is a real urgency to get this side up and firing for this World Cup. They've actually got such a favourable draw that if they don't get to a semi-final, they should, you know, that that would be another failure. You know, I mean, it's time that England started to, you know, to, to look at this less as a cyclical thing. We, you know, we go up and we go down and so on and so forth and recognise that actually there are countries that are now beginning to hit a, a an upward trajectory most of the time, and we're not one of them. It was very interesting, actually, that in the under-20s game yesterday, down in Cork, England went down there with a big, big pack of forwards, including Ollie Chesham's brother in the second row, who played who played very well and lost his rag at the end because he was frustrated. But Ireland played in pretty much precisely the same way as the Test side, um, and they they were they were very organised, but also really, really driven around the breakdown because they knew full well against a bigger pack of forwards that they might struggle at set piece which they did, particularly at line-out time. But they were very, very hungry around that ball and very organised in their hunger. And that that's, I mean, it's its, it's a little bit scary um, uh, to think how, how well-equipped Ireland are with players at the moment. I mean, they've got a terrific number eight, a terrific seven, terrific nine and tens coming through from that under-20 side. Really very good. You can see it a mile off. Uh, so I think Ireland are very well set, actually. They've got a great team. They've got, better set than England, I would say. they've got a great school system, a highly competitive school system, and you know the provincials, you know the provincial system, and so on and so forth. They, they've uh, the Irish have got their ducks in a row. There's no question about that. All all the way along the line, yeah. all the way along. The line. I think I've got to bring in the question here of you know the Irish habit, Willie John, of peaking too early. Um, and the way we're talking, it's almost as if Ireland aren't peaking; they're just permanently building. And maybe that's one of the reasons, you know, I certainly don't believe they're peaking too early and that's one of the reasons. Another one being that 
unlike France, for example, they're not, you know, they're not built on three or four match winners. And if they don't show up, they don't put in much of a performance. We speak about all their injuries and the players that come in. They're never happy with their performance. They, they always want to take another step all the time. And that's very good. That's very healthy. The one thing, just listening to the game, England are kicking the ball too much. I hate kicking in the game. There's two and throwing and toing and throwing. Because, you know, Ireland handled, I think we dropped one ball, which was unusual, really. But this high kicking all the time, it's getting nowhere. And I still go back to the old days, way back, I remember in 71, when, when we rarely have ever beat the old blacks. I don't think we had beaten them at that time, at any stage. And Carvin James said, you know, why does everybody, when they get the ball playing against the All Blacks, they kick it? He said, we will not kick it in 1971. We will run at them. And, you know, Saturday, I felt that England sort of lost their game altogether when they started this kicking back and forward. Uh, you know, why didn't they develop the, the, the game that they could use the ball rather than kick it away? Mm. Well, I think that that was one of the things is that they're, they're, they 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 geared their game towards a defensive game. I don't think that there's any question about that, and towards disrupting Ireland, and the attacking side of their game really didn't, uh, apart from a driving maul, where you know which they executed well uh, for the try, they didn't really threaten the Irish line. Yeah. yeah. Um, there was very little that was joined up in 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 attack at all by England, and that's a you know that's another that's another story, you know. Yeah, yeah. It's quite a static game, uh, and and it comes from a, a, a static a static thought. I mean, almost a stasis in imagination. There's there there ain't much going on in that England side in terms of attack, and, and and it's not as simple as just saying to Marcus Smith, "You're the whiz kid. You come in and transform everything." It doesn't work like that. It doesn't work on that. They've got this negative thing built into their brain. Yeah. And, uh, you know, it takes time to get that out of it again. Yeah. Because they've got the players. They've got the players. Chris, can we put a positive spin on that in international rugby in general and to say that the, you know, a good set piece, a strong kicking game or a a kicking game of sorts, whether it's strong or just a kicking game, is no longer enough? Because, I, you know, I think you could say five years ago, it wasn't necessarily enough to beat the great All Black side, for example, but it was certainly, you know, an asset that it no longer is. I would say. I think it, it's a bare minimum, but you have to build on that to be a contender. Yeah, I I, I, agree, I agree with that. I sort of tried to make the point in a in a column in in last Sunday's paper um, that yeah, yes, you need the fundamentals. Your set piece has got to be it's got to be right. Your your disciplines have to be right. Your ball protection has to be you know at a high level. All those things, all all the things that made rugby tick down through the ages. Um, but another thing that makes that has always made the great side tick size tick, and this is nothing new actually, is to have players who react very quickly when the game goes messy. It's a messy whole game, isn't it? I mean, it's. Um, you know, it was it was messy on Saturday because oh, you you could see that by the way that the Irish, who were pretty much error free all the way through the tournament, were making very uncharacteristic mistakes. And there was a lot of pressure on the game for them, as Willie said, as Willie John said right at the right at the start. There was more pressure on them than it was in England. That's for sure. I mean, that they had a big prize on the end of that, and it did show with some of the mistakes they made. But when you have people who can react, Matt Hansen's a classic example of a bloke who just intervenes when things are turning to crap he he is he is a tidier up he is an influencer 
Not all the time. He's a right wing. He can't do it all game, but he does it in the right places. I thought Bundyaki, who who I thought was a rather limited player for many years, albeit an effective one, I thought he was magnificent on Saturday. Absolutely magnificent, not just in terms of his aggression, but in terms of making the right decisions off scruffy ball, doing the right things at the right time. Van der Fleer is a classic example of it as well. James Ryan is a classic example. I mean, that's this is what you need. You need to be able to react. Your, your rugby instincts have to be at a really high level. And it seems to me that quite a lot of the England players down the years have had the rugby instincts drilled out of them, not enhanced. They've been they're they're they're, they're they've become mechanized. And that's not the way at the very, very top level, that's not the way you're gonna win anything. I I think that, you know, I mean the kicking game is um is is an interesting one because um the current world champions are um are are still a team that kick the ball a lot, but their kick chase is uh, you know, is a real weapon for them. And they uh they play off it almost. And uh so I, I think you know one of the beauties of the game is that they're always you know, they're always uh, different, you know, different ways to skin the cat in terms of uh, attacking play. Um, uh, you know, Ireland's, uh, Ireland's try um, came from, or one of Ireland's tries came from a, 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 a beautiful cross kick by, uh, by Johnny Sexton. Um, so, you know, it's, 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 as always, I think it's about mixing up your game and it's about judgment. And in terms of judgment, um, and generalship, Ireland had a master on the field, and 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 have had. I mean, at the age of thirty-seven, for him to still be uh, producing in the way he is, um, you know, with that level of, of of ability and consistency, is remarkable. That's because he never plays. Willie John plays more often than Johnny Sexton. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he wrapped in cotton wool a fair amount of the time. That's for sure. <laughs> I want to talk about um, England a little bit, you know, officially now. Um, and Nick, I want to come back to something that you said about you know, the trajectory of England since 2019. And I agree with you, it has been something of a disaster. The one thing that's irked me slightly about Steve Borthwick, this Six Nations, is all this talk. You know, remember when he said that this he inter- inherited a team that wasn't good at anything? Yeah. And he's, he's kind right. of... He, he was right, but he's kind of hammered home that point to the point of exhaustion and mean and meaninglessness, and well, I, just... I, I think that what's happened is is that he said it. He said it. He might have said it once or twice, but we've latched onto it. <laughs> That's for okay. sure. But maybe, but I do not think it's a slightly toxic mentality to inherit in terms of saying that to yourself or to your squad rather, or publicly. And so your squad obviously hears and sees it. We've got a squad that's not good at anything. What does that say for a team's confidence? We spoke about an England team that's playing with a negative mindset. Woody John said it. How does that fuel that? Yeah, I, I, I understand your point. You know, I mean, it, 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 it's perhaps not great, but it's, it's what a coach who is embattled, if you like, from the get-go, which he, he is, you know, he can always say, you know, we've made improvements from rock bottom. So that's where I think it's coming from. It's a bit of psychology in that sense. But um, he's also said that he wants England to play, you know, with real pace, a very, very fast attacking game. Well, you know, you're not going to get that with Owen Farrell. Um, you know, he's a very good player in 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 all sorts of regards. But, uh, you know, when it comes to playing that sort of 
fast, wide-ranging game, uh, he's probably not your man. So England, you know, again, you know, we, we finish a Six Nations with actually, I'm not sure that any decisions have really been made in, in the key areas. You know, they're, they're in a bit of a uh, catch-22. But if you think back, let's say to the early 2000s, Nick, 2001, 2002, when England were playing a quicker game than anyone, probably, they were certainly they were going along at six or seven tries a game in those Six Nations championships. Mm. And they had Johnny Wilkinson at 10. Mm. Now, Johnny Wilkinson was many things, but he wasn't Usain Bolt. And he wasn't a particularly expansive fly half in his whole vision of the game. There were people around him who made who made massive amounts out of his expertise and his, the security he provided and all those kinds of things. So that so so that's fine. So it, it's a long winded way of saying it doesn't all come down on on Farrell. I mean, if Farrell hadn't have been on the field, England would have lost by more on Saturday. Well, listen, you're right. It doesn't doesn't all come down on Farrell. And when he plays fly half, we've said it before on the podcast, when he plays fly half for Saracens, he plays in a different way. And and, and they do. They do move the ball. I've never been one of those people who thought that uh, Wilkinson was a... a, a really limited 10. I think he had a lot more to his game, a hell of a lot more to his game than a lot of people give him credit for. In terms of moving the ball, his passing was superb. Um, I think he's a very, very, very accomplished 10. And we haven't really had anything like him since. So, What's Steve Borthwick saying in his Six Nations debrief then? I think it's on, we- uh, on Wednesday. It's Monday at the time of recording, Chris. What's he going to say? Well... Uh... <laughs> I mean, th- th- this goes back to the, to, to the quote that you um, um, that you uh, you rightly attributed him uh, attributed to him um, a few minutes ago. Um, that a side that's not very good at, at anything that that's that's another way that's a, that's another way of saying we're going back to basics, basically. And back to basics is the kind of message that a coach gives out when he wants to buy himself some time. He knows he's in a little bit of a pickle in certain positions. He knows things aren't very uh, aren't on a particularly even keel. He knows he's got a hell of a lot of work to do in World Cup year. So thanks a bunch. That's a pretty that's a pretty tough gig. Now you know, as Wilkinson himself said after the French game, um, he was in the side that was the previous worst performance or one of the worst performances um, uh, in in an England shirt, which was down in South Africa in the summer of two thousand and seven. Four months later, five months later, whatever it is, England are in a World Cup final. So these things can happen. But of course, the difference was that the side that played against France was a first pick England side, whereas the side that played against the box in Bloemfontein was a third choice side at best. So there are massive differences. Borthwick, Borthwick, what Borthwick cannot say is we haven't got a Scooby's chance. Of winning the World Cup, or 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 even having a major major impact on its destination, we we we're, we're really up against it here. We've got massive amounts of work to do with no games left, apart from some World Cup warm-ups, which amount to nothing whatsoever. So, I think if Steve was being honest, which he can't afford to be because he'll be absolutely slaughtered for being so negative, he would say, "Forget the thing." Please don't judge us on what's about to happen in the World Cup, in which we, for which we are in no way prepared. 
<laughs> Please don't judge us on the World Cup. Please don't judge us on the World Cup. It's the anti-Clive Woodward message. But, of course, Clive, Clive Woodward always said, judge us on the World Cup. But he very cleverly said, he didn't. what he didn't say was which World Cup he was on about. So he said it before the 99 World Cup. And then won the thing in 03. So I, 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 I don't, I don't, th- I don't envy Steve Borthwick's uh, position. He's, he, he's a little bit like Jacko Piper. There, he has no elbow room in what he can, in what he can say. Just as Piper had no elbow room in what he did on Saturday with Freddie Stewart. If he was honest, he'd say, "Forget the World Cup. We, we, we you know, we're just gonna." Obviously, we're going to try. Obviously, we're going to put our best foot forward, but we're not really in a position to have a major impact on that tournament, not a big impact. And we just need to rebuild. We need to get our ducks in a row, and it's going to take time. He's not in a position to be able to, to be able to say that, so he'll come out with some um, with with some form of words that Steve, who's a bright bloke, uh, will consider would be acceptable to the to, to the England supporters and the press and everyone else that you know holds him to account on this stuff but he 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 must know how far England are off there but 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 we but we know that he will be judged on including the warm-up games he will be judged on every single game that there is from now until England go out of the World Cup or win it which, as you say, is very unlikely. But they are going to have a say in the World Cup, I think, because they're likely, unless they lose to Argentina, which is not beyond the bounds of possibility at all. No, I agree. But if, 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 if they do play and uh, improve, they've got, they're on the easier side of the draw, and it's quite possible that England will get to a semi-final. Yeah, if they were on the other half of the draw, there wouldn't be a chance. But uh, or much no, of that's, it. No, that's absolutely true. So, I mean, it will be Wales in the quarterfinal, wouldn't it? So, well, it might be. You know, so you know, there is a, um, you know, England are going to, you know, they are going to be a presence at the World Cup. What sort of presence is up to them? Let's move on. Um, <clears throat> I think the bottom line is is that in these five games, you know. England haven't made the positive steps that you would have hoped for when we previewed the tournament eight weeks ago. Um, and you're right, they are running out of chances, but a semi-final is definitely not beyond the realms of possibility either. Willie John, I think it's time we do your random rugby 15. It's just 15 quick bar questions about you and your rugby career, if you're happy to do that. <laughs> yeah, it seems a long time ago. <laughs> All right. Well, whatever you can remember. Um, so, Willie, Willie John, can I tell you at this point that one of your uh, one of your successors is Lions manager Andy Irving was asked um, was asked a series of questions about his own career in a quiz on the 2013 Lions tour of Australia, and he got them all wrong. Oh, <laughs> oh dear! Willie but John, he was in drink. <laughs> Okay, let's get going. Uh, nickname. Nickname. Well, I I never really had a nickname other than Willie John. Yeah. Called me Willie. Some called me Willie John. But I should say that my name is not Willie John. My name is Willie James. So yeah. Willie John was my nickname. <laughs> <laughs> it seemed to sort of rhyme and it seemed to catch on and, and it sort of went on for years and years. Did you change your name because you were trying to avoid the police? <laughs> yeah. There was other people that changed my name, not me. 
best rugby memory? Best rugby. Well, you know, I, I've I've thought a bit about that. You know, everybody today talks about their Everest, and my Everest was winning, uh, was winning in '74 in South Africa, uh, winning a Test series, uh, because it had never been done before, not even by the All Blacks. So that obviously, and to be captain of a non-beaten side in 22 games. That really was my best memory. I'll never forget it. I'll never, ever forget it. I had I had a bunch of the greatest men that ever played this game with me. It was tremendous. Um, most most embarrassing rugby memory. Well, I yeah, most I, I I can never really I can never really being recall being embarrassed in any situation. You know, I've dropped the ball. I've done stupid things at times when I shouldn't have done it. But I could maybe change that by saying uh, my most disappointment memories uh, would have been in '72 when Scotland and Wales didn't turn up for the in in Dublin for the for the Five Nations because that particular year we had one or two away games, which was a big thing from Ireland point of view in those days, and we we had this sort of feeling that we had got a team together. And that we could maybe beat uh, Wales and Scotland in Dublin, so that was yes, that was a big disappointment. Pre-game tune, what song would you listen to before a game? <laughs> no, we, we didn't we didn't have songs in those days. We, uh, Willie John I, played before music was invented. <laughs> we didn't have songs in those days, uh, but one of the things that maybe before in the '74 tour, I think that. Uh, Flower of Scotland had just been written about the year before or something, and that was a team. That was the team song in '74 when we we went with the Lions, and it was something that caught on, and we all sang it and sang it. We even sang it on the bus going to the games. That's how relaxed we were and how confident we were. It was amazing. But no, we weren't really into in the Irish team. We weren't into songs in any shape or form. Post game meal. What would you eat after a game? Well, you know, the great thing in, when I look back uh, to the internationals in those days, I don't know what happens today, but in those days, after the game, we had a, a, a sort of get-together, a formal get-together with the opposite team. And you sat opposite your number in the, in the tables. It was tremendous. And you got to know guys, which was really great. because uh, And it certainly helped when you went on Lions tours. You sort of knew a lot of the guys reasonably well before you went on a Lions tour. But they were great occasions. And obviously, uh, you know, to, to the, the dining in France was always super, absolutely super. And uh, I used to look forward to that, that uh, after match in, in, in France. Best player you've played against? Played against? Uh, well, I think you probably mentioned him, Meads. Meads was one of those players that sort of I admired and that, you know, he was one of those guys, no matter how hard you knocked him or pushed him or mess him around or whatever you did with him. He was back again in your face all the time. He was back again. He never sort of would withdraw. And I admired that with him. Uh, the other one that I would immediately jump to is Gareth Edwards. Uh, Gareth Edwards on, on both sets of playing against and playing with was, in my view, the best player that I have ever played with or played against. He, he was a devil because... He wasn't terribly big, but he was strong and he was fast and he had tremendous vision. Uh, Gareth knew every situation on the field before he put the ball in his hands. He knew what exactly he was going to do. Uh, he was really a tremendous player. He would have been sort of my idol, if you want to put it that way.
Well, we've got that question coming up. But best player you've played with then, are you saying Gareth Edwards? Oh, it's Gareth Edwards, yes. Yeah. And I say that without hesitation because uh, I was lucky enough to be in two Lions tours uh, with Edwards as scrum half and two winning Lions tours. And, you know, at scrum half in particular, where you take that, the, the absolute physical uh, abuse that he took in both South Africa and New Zealand and come through and still be the winning sort of link between forwards and, and backs was really terrific. Favourite player right now? Favourite player right now? Uh, well, I, I'm sticking with, with Ireland, obviously. There's, there's uh, a number of guys that I admire in the Irish team. Uh, Van der Fleer, I think, is a tremendous player. He's a tremendous player from the point of view. He's not physically big, but by Jove, he knows how to use his body. Uh, not only that, he's got the skill and he's got the vision. Uh, and he, he's in everything. He literally is everything. If he's knocked over, he's up again and he's at it again. Uh, tremendous. Ringrose is the other one that I admire great, uh, greatly, who's obviously injured at the moment. But Ringrose, I think, is a superb player. And, of course, the old Johnny Saxon. I, I remember seeing Johnny Saxon as an amateur in the club. And uh, he was only, he was literally just out of school. And I remember saying to somebody watching, when I was watching the game, I said, that's a guy we'll see a lot of in the future. And here we are. Rugby idol, Gareth Edwards again? Gareth Edwards by a long way. Uh, and obviously he was chosen as player of the century. Favourite stadium? Oh, it had to be Lan the old Lansdowne Road. That's where my, my history is. Because when you ran out onto Lansdowne Road, you felt as if you could literally put your arm out and touch the crowd. And, and they were there beside you all the time. It really was tremendous. The atmosphere there was really terrific. Favourite gym exercise? <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I should say that when I was growing up and, and when I was at school, we didn't have a gym. Yeah. I didn't know what a gym was. So I, I don't know about the gym exercise, but I, I'll surprise you by saying this, that uh, my first athletic uh, efforts were actually pole vaulting. Whoa. was pole vaulting. And uh, I remember one exercise I used to do was uh, we had a, a rope and I, I could climb up the rope in those days. Uh, and that would have been one of my good exercises if you want to put gym exercise. But uh, no, that's one thing that I really enjoyed was pole vaulting when I was at school. Uh, and I won the Ulster Schools Championship twice wow. before, before I played rugby. But uh, Jim, no, there was no such thing as a gym in my, in my day, you know, with the, all these weights and fancy machines. But I was lucky I grew up on a farm. Okay. And I, I worked hard on the farm until yeah. I was eight. Yeah. That explains a lot, I think, about the heavy-duty work of, of farm work. Yeah, I remember it, it was peculiar because I left school, obviously, when I was 18. And I left school in the June of eight, when I was 18. And I played for Ballymena's senior team uh, before that year was out, 1958. So, and, and that really was because I was still physically able to cope with the problem yeah. uh, of huge men around me. Amazing. Um, occupation if rugby didn't exist? Well, you know, of course, I was amateur all the way through. Yeah. I did have an occupation. I was in banking all the time. Uh, and they, they're the people who are, who are paying my pension. So, uh, you know, I don't know, I don't know where I'd be if, if I was a professional player, but I enjoyed my banking career. 
I maybe didn't give it as, as much attention as I should have. Was being at least you had, had somewhere somewhere in the bank to put your boot money, Willie John. That's right. <laughs> That's right. Yeah. No, you old amateur, you. Tell you, like some other countries, uh, there was no boot money in Ireland. I can tell. <laughs> I, I can. I remember having to play half a pay half a crown to have my jersey washed every week. <laughs> <laughs> they, they they were different days. <laughs> Superstitions. So no, I'm not I'm not superstitious in any shape or form. You know, one of the things that I believe today that is equally as important as physical condition is mental condition. And I think that you know you've got to believe you've got to believe that you're going to win. And you've, it takes a lot of work to get that into somebody's head, that everything they do is positive and negative. Get negativity out of the way altogether. Rugby law you would change? Well, you know, the game is nothing like the game I played. You know, if I could just start with the scrum. The scrum was a joke. You don't have a scrum. We saw that in the last Irish game against Scotland. You don't even need a hooker anymore. And you and you can still do very well if you're three prop forwards. Uh, the lineouts, the lineouts. Well, one on every three or four lineouts is crooked, crooked throw in. Uh, they, they. I would bring back rocking. Probably would be the most important one, because this nonsense of holding people on the ground to get the cheap penalty, I, I find it absolutely amazing that they're allowed to do that. And the other thing is taking players out. I just don't understand that taking players out without the ball, they call it clearing out or something. Uh, there, there is so much in the game that I, I just don't like anymore. And lastly, best thing about working in rugby? Working in rugby, it, it, it must be good. I haven't really, uh, since I retired, I really didn't. Have, well, I, I sort of did a, a bit in the club and, and around the place. But working in rugby is a difficult thing when you have the, the, the people who are always carping, why don't you do this, why don't you do that? It must be difficult. It's like refereeing. You're you're never right. And it's a big, big occupation is working in rugby. There's no doubt about that. Wrapped up. Thank you for doing that, Willie John. And I've got to say, it's amazing to hear you talk about your incredible career. Let's blitz through, because we've overrun a little bit, and I do want to get to a tournament review. Um, so do have a think about your player of the tournament, moment of the tournament, and surprise of the tournament. Um, so I'll give you a little bit of forewarning for that but let's get to France versus Wales and I think the only point of interest with France that I want to touch on today and I'll come to you about this Chris is Fabien Galtier saying that they're the team to beat um what do you make of that and what does that show about the mentality that he's trying to instill into his France side well he's trying to embrace expectation um Kai Woodward said exactly the same stuff in 2003 instead of instead of trying to Trying to cre create a um, uh, an an, e an expectation um, management kind of frame of mind amongst the players and amongst the supporters and what have you, he went out and said, "We're going as number one in the world, and number one number one side in the world is meant to win a World Cup, and that's what we, you know, that's what we're looking at. That's that's the belief that we're travelling with, etc., etc., etc. And by hook or by crook." They got there. Um, you know, the French are not quite number one in the world. Just Ireland are number one in the world, but they're very, yeah, yeah, they're, they're very, very close. Uh, but I think they also know that South Africa 
New Zealand, conceivably Australia, I think are real dark horses for all this kind of stuff, depending on what sort of shape Eddie Jones gets them into. But there's there there's a very, very long way in that tournament from, from opening game to winning the final. Massive amount. And and the, the French have in World Cup history played their finals too early on occasion. They did that certainly in '99. You can argue that they did it well, sort of in 2011. They've been they've been a strange beast in World Cups. Frankly, they did it in 1987 as well, of course, in the first World Cup. They've been a strange beast. They haven't really all been on the same page mentally and attitudinally in the way that Gautier thinks they'll have to be if they're going to win a home World Cup. So I can quite understand him saying that. He's saying, just believe, lads, that you are as good as people say we are. Nobody thinks we're better than we do. And that's a pretty positive attitude to go into a home World Cup with. The one thing, so if we take you know, the one and two um, ranked sides in the world is the two World Cup favourites, and obviously to make a case for South Africa and maybe an outside bet for New Zealand. But you take France and Ireland, and Willie John, I'm going to come to you about this. I touched upon this earlier. The one thing that concerns me slightly about France is if their three or four game changes are quiet, you know, if Aldrich's quiet, if Unsamak's quiet, if Penno's quiet, I mean, Dupont is obviously hardly ever quiet. All of a sudden, it's not quite the same French outfit. And do you think that's where Ireland's advantage over France may lie with you, John? Well, you know, the, the, the one thing that I hope they do now is forget about this number one, number one nonsense. I wish they'd get that out of the way. We're going into the World Cup now. And there are teams like South Africa, like New Zealand, even like Australia. We don't know what they're going to be. Uh, like Ireland, like France. And like, there's very, very little between all these teams now. So we're going into really a, a new scene uh, altogether after the Six Nations is gone. Uh, so it's a matter of these teams settling down. Whichever one can, can, as I go back to the old word, believe. The team that can believe mentally and drive it into their heads and take a positive attitude to this is the team that's going to come through uh, at the end of the day. So this number one thing, it drives me mad when I hear about that because there's so little between so many of the teams. And, you know, France always excited me. Even when I was playing against them, they always excited They always excited me. And, you know, to watch France now when things are running, running for them a little bit, their support play is tremendous. But probably number one, they have pace. They have pace in their team that no other team has. They really are superb. And uh, there's certainly this thing, number one, between them and, and Ireland. You know, there's nothing in it. There's absolutely nothing in it. But do you think you speak about belief? Say, I don't know, Dupont or Aldrich and Smack or Oliver or one of those key players goes down early in the tournament and is ruled out. Do you think that the belief remains in the French team that would probably remain in the Ireland team should let they lose one of their star players, so to speak. Well, I, I, I know that they can be a bit temperamental at times, but I, I think that they're, they're, more, they're more mature now than they've ever been. I remember in the old days you used to say, I wonder what team will turn up today. And they, they weren't good at travelling. Those days are all gone now uh, in this professional era. And I think Gaultier has, has really been a big, big success story as far as France is concerned, in that he's in charge. But I, you know, it's a bit like Ireland. We have a little bit of depth now. If we lose a second row forward, 
it doesn't matter. We can drift one in who's equally as good. And I think that France are pretty well in that situation nowadays too. Yeah, 100%. Well, blitzing through, let's move on to Wales. Nick, was the France game a step in the right direction? Um, George North had his best game of the tournament. Dan Bigger, two Wales appeared to play with a bit more pace. And do you think that is something of a springboard from which Gatlin can turn them into a, a team to beat by September, October time? Yeah, um, I think that that may be stretching stretching it a bit. But um, what they did that England didn't do against France was that they did attack. And their attack was uh, w- was incisive at times. I, 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 I'm not sure about the, uh, the the Welsh pack. I'm not sure that it's good enough to um, to get them uh, into the the you know into the latter stages really of the uh, of the World Cup. They finished below England in the table, and I think that that's probably justified. So um, yeah, I think that the that the, they finished well, or they finished. They didn't finish well, but they finished better. Um, there were there were there there were signs. Um, I think Reese Webb has brought something to them in, in, in attack. Uh, North did have a better game. Tompkins played, you know, played uh, played well too, and justified his inclusion. But. Um, uh, you know, I mean, it's been a pretty, it's been a pretty grim season for the Welsh. You know, as grim as England's, if not worse. With, with all the players Nick mentions, uh, I was also really pleased to see Aaron Wainwright back in something like some shape because in the last World Cup he was an extremely effective player, extremely yeah. effective, and he just went off the radar. I mean, I don't, I mean, whether Wayne Pivak simply didn't fancy him at all as a as a as a as a test blindside. Uh I don't have the faintest idea. But he was pretty effective against the French. He was visible, he was involved. And and the, and the Welsh game, exactly what you say about Reese Webb, the Welsh game has always been based around uh players with with real rugby instinct, doing the right things in the right places, taking, you know, Getting the sort of the 50-50 stuff, the half chances and what have you, and maximizing the potential of those. I think if you were if 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 Gatlin can restore that, that that level of of just rugby instinct that may, have made Wales so difficult to beat for so many years under Warren, I think the other thing that he will do, and he's done this before World Cups before, is he will get them super fit. They will be much fitter than they've appeared to be in recent matches and through the pivot um, through the pivot. Um, uh, stewardship of the national side uh, whether they go back to Poland and do all the cryotherapy stuff and whatever that they've done previously but 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 Warren says I, I mean I, I remember speaking to him a lot about this he always said that that's one thing that is in my gift, that's one thing that is measurable actually fitness mm-hmm. levels and Wales were way off it when he took over and they were very very fit when they had to be in World Cups when they've gone well previously and they've outlasted sides or they've hung around in games far longer than they look capable of doing. And that is down to the preparation that you do pre-World Cup. And Gatland is good at that stuff, really good at that stuff. So yeah. it'll be very interesting to see what they what they come up with. I agree with you about Wayne Wright. He brought some real uh, carrying clout to their back row. Um, it's just, a you know, this has been... There's no question this has been a very, very entertaining tournament. It's been a mm-hmm. terrific tournament. There's been real high quality in it. 
Um, it's just a pity from the Welsh point of view that when you have a player like Lewis Rees-Samit and he really doesn't get a show at all in a tournament, it just tells you, you know, that Wales aren't, aren't fulfilling their potential because he, he, you know, he is electric. Yeah, well, they're struggling for some proper creativity yeah. in midfield, aren't they? Yeah, they are. That's the truth of it. They are. Which, which Ireland have with Sexton. Um, goodness me, and, and Ring Rose, who, as Willie John said, has come so much into his own. And whoever they put it inside centre, and they've got a choice of three now. They've got Aki, they've got McCloskey, they've got um, uh, they've got Henshaw. Um, there's a lot going on there. The, the, the Irish do run some moves, some really interesting moves laden with dummy runners, as you said earlier, Nick. And and that's not what Wales are doing at the moment. They're, they're really they're really struggling for an attacking game at 10, 12, and 13. So we'll yeah. see what we'll we'll see what they produce. Let's move on to um Scotland, Italy. I want to start with Italy um in general. And Willie John, Italy showed promise, but the general conclusion I think has been that they haven't converted you know, the attacking threat that they bring into points and results. Do you think that's a sort of manifestation of a team that over the years doesn't hasn't really learned how to win on the big stage? Yeah, I think that that's probably true, but uh, their, Kieran Crowley, the, their coach, uh, is a guy who has really brought them on this year, I think. And what they've got to do now is get this winning mentality into their heads because I, I think on a couple of occasions... They're they're better than the than the results showed, but having said that, against Scotland, you know Scotland are a team who deserve a lot more than what they've achieved, because they certainly believe, and yet they slip up every now and again. Uh, but they they're they're a team also again who are going to cause quite a bit of uh, bit of surprise, I'd say, in the World Cup, uh, because they they've got a bunch of guys in a bit of depth together now, but their attitude. Their mental attitude is very, very good. Uh, Italy, uh, I'm surprised. I'd say a year ago, everybody was saying, oh, we will play, we'll beat Italy, we'll beat Italy, we'll beat Italy. That's not the case anymore. They're very much part of the Six Nations. And I the, put that the, to the coach. The, the, the thing with Italy is that I, I think they've made a massive step forward because they're now, they are fluffing their lines. But at least they've got some lines to fluff for years. For years, they, there were no lines there. They weren't doing anything. I mean, they knew how to keep the ball. They didn't know how to put any points on the end of it. They could keep the ball for hours. Um, but there was, no, there was nothing to watch. Um, now, they, are, they do have a threat. Yes, uh, they're trying to do things that may be a, a yard ahead of their pace at the moment. Um, the, the 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 grasp extending the reach or the reach extending the grasp, whichever way round that is. But at least they're in in the ballpark to to uh, to to finish off things. There are things to finish where there weren't any previously. So I think that's a massive step forward for Italy. Huge. Yeah, it's quite something to say when you um, when you haven't won a game that actually you've galvanised the tournament. Yeah, because I think that that thing of people going to Rome or receiving the Italians and it just being a gimme, you know, there's, it, it's a, it, it, there's no real sense of expectation because you know beforehand what the result's going to be. This tournament has changed that. They were with, within a, an ace of winning at, uh, at Murrayfield and the, uh, 
you know, the the last minute try was, you know, was a, a, a two score try really, wasn't it? You know, because they could have they could have won the game there. They still they're they're what Crowley's done is he's taken the shackles off them. You know, they now believe that they, you know, that they can score against the best that they, and and they have. Um, I think that the, the key thing is, is that they've got to bring just a little bit of pragmatism into their game. They're trying to run, run the ball from, from everywhere. And very often they're, um, you know, they're, they're, they're actually coughing it up in and around their own 22 and, uh, and conceding, you know, tries that otherwise they wouldn't. So, um, you know, Italy have been a real marker in this tournament. This has been a a, 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 sea, a sea change, really. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's very valid. It, it raises the overall standard of the tournament, doesn't it, to not have any walkover games, which is exactly what the Six Nations should be. Finally, speaking about quiz trajectories, um, round us off with Scotland's, Chris, from the sort of Finn Russell turmoil um, towards the back end of last year and Boosgate from, you know, before that to a top five team in the world, third place finish. How far have they come? No, oh, um, a, a long way. I mean, I mean, you, you have to say that their, their, their back line, crikey, that's an, that's an exciting group of players playing some exciting, inventive, imaginative rugby from all parts of the pitch. They'll have Darcy Graham to come back, who's been pretty effective, although, you know, I don't think they missed him massively. But he it'll be very interesting to see what he ended up doing at fullback, because I'm not sure that Stuart holds a better 15 than Blair Kinghorn at the moment. I'm really not sure that that's the case. Uh, and and yeah, I mean, they both have big boots and they're, they're both quick in different ways. But I think Kinghorn brings a level of security and, uh, and brings an, a more error-free game than Hogg does. So I think there's a decision to be made there. They've obviously got a 10 who on his day is a match winner. Um, they're always busy. They're always busy in the back row. Um, you know, they're not they're not the biggest pack. I don't think their type five is quite strong enough to take them to the to the to the limits of a World Cup. And they're in a very, very tough group. I mean, Ireland and South Africa in the same group. I mean, they may well not get out of their group again. And that's tough on them because in a sense they're better than that. Um, but that's the draw. That's that's what comes with making a draw three years in advance. So genius from uh, world rugby once again um but it's i i think i think they i think they're a good side uh i think on on a given day they can be a real handful for pretty much anyone i mean they've nearly beaten everyone in the past but you know it's nearly with a capital n isn't it I, I I like them a lot. I enjoy watching them. I think they're they're, they're as, and I, and I have to say that I'm a big fan of the inside centre who nobody ever talks about. Although they're beginning to talk about him now, to a lot who who I who I think has probably been. I think he's been the twelve of the tournament. For that, um, Woody John, how do you feel about sharing a World Cup group with obviously not only South Africa but this Scotland side who? Three years ago, when the draw was made, they were probably, you know, a banana skin at the very least. Now they're a genuine, genuine threat. Yes, there's no doubt about it. Uh, <clears throat> you know, Scotland are a, a, a team that really play on the edge. They play on the edge of the law all the time. And they're a different, even in, in, from my day, uh, they seem to be able to get away with those little offsides, those little things on the ground where they took the ball and shouldn't have taken the ball. and. There were all sorts of things, but they're a team who play on the edge. They annoy, they annoy the opposition. 
all the time, all the time. And uh, as we heard earlier, their backline is a very good backline, but their forwards, they have one or two forwards who now who really can retrieve the ball fast from rocks and malls. They're really they're they're a team who really should have a better record than they have. And uh, I think Ireland going into this World Cup is on a very difficult side of the World Cup. It's going to be tough. It's going to be tough. And Scotland are there as well. So it's going to be interesting to see what happens. But I won't be surprised if Scotland do very well. I'd love to see them get out of the World Cup group. I really would because they play such an exciting brand. Not at Ireland's expense, of course. Um, <laughs> okay. I've got to go. You've got to get going. I've got to leave, yeah. That's absolutely fine. All right. Well, we'll cut things there with Willie John then. Willie John, thank you so much for joining us. And huge congratulations again. No um, problem. And yeah, take care. Well done, Willie John. They couldn't have done it without you. <laughs> <laughs> thank you. Thank you. Right, well, it's just we've just got us three then for player of the tournament, moment of the tournament, and surprise of the tournament, but that's fine. Um, let's start with player of the tournament first. I'm going to come to you, Nick. Okay, well, I'm going to um, I'm going to go with a bloke who a young player who I think has been uh, he's part of the grand the, the Grand Slam Ireland side. He scored two tries. Um, against England on Saturday, and that's Dan Sheehan. I think that his, you know, I mean, he he was absolutely integral to their win over New Zealand in New Zealand in the summer. And although he, I can't remember how many games he was out for in this, I think he was out for one um, with injury, but he is a really exceptional, he's a very, he's a big hooker, He's uh, he's he's pretty tall, but he's his all round game, his precision at the line out as a uh, obviously is integral to Ireland's success there. Uh, but his carrying game and his support game is is exceptional. And the way he took his try, you know, the amount of pace he showed to take that gap was significant. And then rounding off on the outside of a sustained move in which I think he was in possibly he handled three times in that move before eventually dotting it down. I think, um, yeah, I think he's he's some player. And they're blessed with hookers as well because Kelleher and Herring are both no slouches. But uh, Sheehan, I think, is, uh, is, is, is really exceptional. And uh, like Van der Fleer, young, still a young, he's younger than Van der Fleer, I think, you know. So uh, very good. Chris, have you gone? I've gone a one of the Ireland players as well. Mine's Caelan Doris, who faded ever so slightly, but the first three games he was just phenomenal. Who have you gone with? He was he was he was something, wasn't he? And, and until the England game, where he was less evident, um, I, I, I suppose. But crikey, he had a tournament. I agree with you. Um, I could I could go probably through two or three of the French side. I mean, I mean, Dupont's too obvious for words, really. I mean, some of the stuff he's doing is extraordinary. I mean, that long pass off his left hand for Penno's try, um, was it Penno's try? Uh, yeah. Against Wales at the weekend is just... <laughs> the, the, pass was, the pass was on uh, and he was throwing it into a lot of space and he had a bit of room to do it. But, yeah, plenty of time, yeah. But, <laughs> but, but, it twice. But, 
I'm 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 not sure I'm not sure I would have been even at my best and it was pretty formidable best I can tell you even at my best I don't think I would have been quite as pinpoint accurate uh with that no I I mean I I I admire Fiku through the tournament I thought Flamon was something to see I thought Penno in attack if not always in defense was wonderful but I'm going to go for an Irishman as well and we were talking with Willie John earlier about the fact that Ireland now have a tight five that really stacks up against all comers and they're not to be pushed around. And the guy who I think is undoubtedly the best loose head prop in the world is Andrew Porter. I thought he was absolutely phenomenal all tournament. He's aggressive, but not in a ridiculous way, but he is aggressive. He's a big physical presence. He is very mobile. He, he makes next to no mistakes. And when they're setting up camp around that five metre area, the, the goal lines, when you get when Ireland get into goal line siege territory now, um, they're very difficult to stop. And one of the reasons they're very difficult to stop is that that bloke knows exactly what he's doing and he does it with some real meaning. Uh, I think he's been absolutely terrific. And he's my he's my bloke. An Ireland clean sweep. Let's do moment of the tournament. Chris, I'll come to you again. If if you've got one in mind already, um, I I I suppose my my moment of the tournament uh, came right in the right in, well it, it came on Saturday. I th I think it was probably not be, not because of the expertise of the execution, but although that was a, a very high level, but it 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 just to me symbolised a, a sort of loosening of uh, the shackles that we've so often seen Six Nations tournaments played under, was Scotland having <laughs> barely survived by the skin of their teeth losing against Italy, which would have been a serious blow. And they're under their own sticks. And the easiest thing for them to do would just have been to end it. Just get the thing off the pitch and bank the victory. And they scored an absolutely brilliant try. And that, in terms of attitude, just a freeing of the spirit that we've seen, I think, in this Six Nations. I think it was a symbol of it. I think uh, we all want to see more rugby played like that. You can argue that there was nothing on it, apart from the fact that if they chucked it on the floor and Italy had run back under their sticks, they'd have lost the game and there would have been a hell of a row. So there was a little bit of risk attached to it, but it was just so beautifully done. Uh, so that Scotland try at the back end of that game when they've been absolutely on their rear ends uh, in a big defensive set. Just the sense of ambition, I found quite a warm thing, actually. And I'll remember that. Yeah, I think that's a very, very, very good one. Um, Nick, I've gone with, and it's not really a moment, but the opening 20 minutes or so of Ireland-France. Um, which I think was just phenomenal. I suppose if you had to whittle it down to a moment, it would be the length of the field Penno try, um, which just emblematised the chaos of those 20 minutes. Um, what have you gone with? I um, I thought of that one, but the one that I liked, I was talk is talking about Italy earlier on, is Capuozzo's, uh, unfortunately we lost him about midway through the tournament, but was Capuozzo's try against France. And the fact that they took the French to the, you know, to the wire. But to see a bloke who's probably, what, about 10 and a half stone soaking wet, sort of um, 
I wouldn't say. Well, I I, I do think he petrifies defenses now because he's just so quick and so elusive. His movement is um, is is extraordinary. Really, he makes other people look as if they're statues. And um, on uh, Greg Aldrit is no statue. He's a really outstanding number eight um and grew into this tournament and and really sort of you saw him get better and better as it went on but capuozzo made him look like a statue you know he is his speed of footwork and just you know the 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 you talk about the the encapsulation of flair really it's, it's the closest thing we've seen to jason robinson really i think yeah. isn't it yeah, well, but totally different. different yeah, oh, yeah. He, does, he doesn't have the exaggerated sidestep that no. Jason had, but but the notion that no one knows where he's going. Yeah, no, that, no. absolutely. But a bigger a bigger contrast in, in the sense because Jason was incredibly powerful, you know, and agile. This guy has he's he's not he's not powerful. Well, I th- I'm sure he is. You know, he's incredible wiry strength, but he just defies. Um, you know, he defies the sort of confines of the uh, of the modern professional game. He's you, uh, you, you'd kick sand in his face on the beach, Nick, wouldn't you? Well, I mean, you uh, would, you, you would, you would, because because <laughs> because that's the kind of bloke you are. So, <laughs> yeah, no, I, I so for me, Capuazzo, yeah, no yeah. question. Yeah, and boy, did this really miss him. And boy, was it a shame that he didn't get to play the last two games. Um, okay, finally, surprise of the tournament, and we'll go Chris first. Well, I, I, I suppose I'm not. I'm not talking about one specific incident uh, here. Um, I, I've I've got a, um, a a surprise that you don't want to see, and a surprise that you do. Um, so I'll, I'll stick. I'll, I'll stick with the more positive one. But my my negative one was just how bad. Just what a pickle Wales were in. I mean, I've, I I honestly thought that they they would start pretty well. I thought they could beat Ireland. I mean, famously, I said on this podcast that I tipped them to beat Ireland in the first game. Uh, this was before the strike, mind you. I mean, I, I made these uh, made these predictions well in advance, but um, I I did not have the foggiest idea of how poor they would be. I mean, in the autumn, yes, they lost to Georgia, but they also they also fronted up against, you know, far stronger sides and made fists of it. Uh, so I was astonished at, at the poverty of their rugby in the early rounds of this tournament. Um, we we know how how many difficulties they were were going under off the field, but I thought they would get a Gatlin bounce. Um, the only bounce they got was downwards, so it's like the opposite of a bounce because the upwards bit didn't happen. Uh, so it was a one-way bounce, which is a contradiction in terms. I was pretty sad. To, I was genuinely sad to see it because they are, uh, you know, they're a big part of world rugby, and 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 the poverty of their performance I thought was desperately disappointing. I'm glad they just picked up um, in Paris at the weekend and, and and did some things that they can take something from. My my surprise was that the French who have hated Twickenham since time immemorial. Um, we know they're a good side, but it was hosing down with rain. As I understand it, I wasn't there, but it was a wet day for a French side playing the kind of rugby which is 
kind of handling rugby, which is an ambitious brand of rugby, to go through that game virtually error-free in the wet. Uh, leave aside the number of points they scored. I mean, that was a bit of a freak. But it was the most extraordinary performance um, for, a, a, for, for a side that's no stranger to making errors, no strangers to overreaching themselves, no strangers to... Um, uh, to coming up short mentally and psychologically uh, at Twickenham, especially, which is, as I say, not 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 a ground that they particularly enjoy visiting. I thought it was an immense performance, and I, I was I was actually staggered by the quality of their rugby that day. Staggered. Nick, <laughs> I I was equally staggered when I saw. Um, going into uh, this weekend's final round, that the front page of L'Equipe had a, uh, a huge picture which said, come on, England. <laughs> 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 so, you know, given the um, the, the ages-old <laughs> animosity <laughs> and so on, <laughs> it took... It took the biscuit. <laughs> it's the it's the it's the Sunak, Sunak Macron romance, isn't it? Yeah, That's what it is. Yeah. Every everyone loves Rishi. Everyone loves Rishi. Even he's top of my hit parade. I think he's great. But um, <laughs> look, I mean, <laughs> I mean, the, the the great thing about it is, is that one or two of the Grand Slams that we've seen um, in, in recent years have not been. You, you know, won by exceptional sides. They by, won by sides that have, have squeezed their way through it. Uh, Ireland, I think, are an exceptional side this time round. And so the Grand Slam deservedly went to them. I didn't think there'd be a Grand Slam this season. I thought that the Irish would slip up at uh, at some stage, that somebody would, uh, would find their number. I thought that it was going to be the French, and um, it wasn't to be. And they were actually not as well beaten by the score the score line but they were well beaten in dublin and uh, and that's huge credit to Ireland. i would give mine but chris you've already given mine i think the twickenham game france getting over their hoodoo was really quite something um i can give an off field surprise of the tournament and that's nick kane himself who defended his title in the predictions league last year by actually picking up the wooden spoon this year really <laughs> Confirmed, I, I so. tell you what, I'm now extremely suspicious of your <laughs> of your calculations. I have, <laughs> Having I have. got me down for a um, what was it? A, a, an Irish victory at Murray. <laughs> <laughs> no, <laughs> Nick, 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 Nick's world go, victory Nick's, in Paris. Nick's going to go all Trump on us and demand a recount, and there'll be there, 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 there'll be right. huge numbers of people trying to invade your flat, Ollie. I'll admit, right. I, I definitely want to see the, 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 I mean, the, the, stop the, the steal. Stop the steal, Nick. <laughs> <laughs> Nick, yeah. I'd like to congratulate you anyway. It's an accolade that you know you're not going home. Recount. I, I, I have triple checked. I will recount again. You will recount. <laughs> and and I, I will publicly declare myself an idiot, um, as Chris declared you a few, a few weeks ago on the podcast next week, if I am indeed wrong. Um, Nick, you ended There's up with only seven. one idiot, and he's currently sitting in Bath. <laughs> <laughs> Nick, you ended up on seventy-one. Special guest on seventy-four. Chris, you actually made the podium 
you had a really good weekend, despite predicting Wales to beat Ireland at the start of the tournament, which I think takes the accolade for worst prediction of the entire series. Brendan maintained his spot in second, and I'm not going to say who was first because, well, you'll you'll just get angry with me. Just um, tell, tell me who had Italy to beat Scotland. That's what I want to know. No one. Brendan had a twenty all draw. <laughs> I promise you. <laughs> I tell okay. you what, next next year, do you want to be a more of a part of the scoring proceedings to understand how it works? You know, I, I can leave you to do all the maths and number crunching and stuff. It's all a mystery to us. <laughs> <laughs> what I will say, and I think this is to the Rugby Paper podcast credit, so the final score of England-Ireland was 29-16. And three of us, we predicted 30-17, 29-18 and 29-17, mm. which I think is quite a good effort. So that, that was a nice positive to end the tournament on. A recount has been demanded, so I will duly abide. And what are you buying yourself as a prize? It's a good question, actually. I was going to ask what you're buying me as a prize. A wooden spoon for next year. <laughs> that seems I, to be I, the cycle. I, I think you'll find that as taxpayers, we're paying for your education, so crack on. <laughs> That's true. Well, I'm certainly not doing justice with how much work I'm doing at the moment. Um, <laughs> that's another matter for another week. Gents, thank you for keeping me company throughout the tournament. Thanks for listening to this week's edition of the Rugby Paper Podcast. And don't forget to subscribe on whichever podcast platform you use and recommend the show to your friends. The Rugby Paper is available to buy every Sunday. And to make sure you don't miss it, subscribe through our print, digital and online options at therugbypaper.co.uk forward slash subscriptions. That's therugbypaper.co.uk forward slash subscriptions to get all our content for as little as 14p per day.